Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Well, it's still Cat Central over at the Fisher Sexton household. I'm still living with two additional cats. There are three cats in this house right now. So the cats aren't going to be staying with me very much longer because my friend has found Wants a new place <laughs> and, and they want them back. So... But it's been really fun having the cats here. I just wanted to give Desi a quick update on uh, Romy, my cat, and Bandit, uh, one of the cats that's been living with me, because Romy, I mean, because Desi noticed that Romy uh, was really into Bandit's asshole. <laughs> the last time Desi was over here, she was like, why is your cat obsessed with that? Like, your cat yeah. will not get her face out of that cat's ass. She's an ass-eating icon. She <laughs> So, like, the other night, Romy, like, she just, like, will bury her face deep in this cat's ass. And, like, will just, like, be, like, like, the look on her face is, like, pure euphoria. Like, I don't yeah. know what she's smelling. If It's, it's like primal. A, it, it's like she's smelling something that she's never smelled before yeah. in her life, and she fucking loves it. She probably has, like, a little faint, it's, like, sense memory. She's like, yes, I used to fuck. Right, you're right. right. Cuz she fucked before. She did fuck cuz Romy had two litters of kittens before right. I got her. So she's he's got BDE. He does, <laughs> and she can sense it. And you know what? They're friends now. Like those two cats, they snuggle each other Aww. and it's really cute. Like they hang out with me and Brendan while we watch Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm a Game of Thrones stan now, yeah. by the way. That's a new development. Well, and I also have a new set of fosters. So I have posted about them on Instagram, I guess. So I have four babies. They're like a week and a half old. And uh, I think I was going to say this. I didn't tweet it today. But kittens are like into 69. <laughs> <laughs> They like because they want to suck. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> look, it's an unforeseen development with kittens. They want to suck because they suck on their moms like all the time, right? But they don't have the mom, so they do try to suck on my hand and stuff when I'm Aww. feeding them. But then they'll suck each other's genital area. Wait, really? Yes, which makes them pee. So it's like <laughs> literally. Look, don't kink shame my kittens. <laughs> They're like, I have to like literally like, don't suck on those genitals. They're going to make them pee because that's how kittens pee. The mom like licks them. Oh. And then I like, I have to do that with a washcloth. Like I'll wipe them with a washcloth oh. to get them to pee, but they'll suck on each other's genitals. So they've just started doing that. And I have to be like monitoring them. Right. Seriously. So they don't pee everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They're oh. really cute. So check them out. We love cats on this show. You know, we're very pro cat. If you want to hear me, if you want to hear me actually talk about my cat speaking of i was a guest on the show the purr cast mm -hmm. this week it's hosted by the wonderful stephen ray morris he is uh the producer of my favorite murder and you should check out the purr cast if you're a crazy cat lady like me and desi <laughs> and if you i mean if you're curious about learning about Romy, you'll yeah. hear all about it on that show and i definitely sound like a crazy cat person because i listen back and i'm like wow it's a good thing only fans of cats listen to the show because <laughs> right. anyone else would be like what's wrong with you yeah no it's good okay. i love like talking about cats yeah i love talking about it but we have uh murder to talk about today sure i mean a cat is a very murdery animal <laughs> they can be okay so what's our subject today well do we want to thank our patrons oh, yes first? let's thank our patrons okay. all right this week, we had Brian, Jason, Allie, Charlotte, Nikki, 
Jennifer, Alex, Omari, and Megan. Oh, and thank you to Jacqueline for sending us some money on PayPal. Thank oh, you yeah, so thank much. You, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is another story that people have asked for for a while, like on our Facebook group, people have kind of always brought this one up, but we haven't had a chance to do it yet. And that is the story of a little known actress named Jean Spangler. And this is sort of her mysterious disappearance. Like, uh, so yeah, it's one of those. She disappeared in 1949 and this case remains unsolved to this day. And it has some pretty big names attached to it that I think will make it interesting for everybody. So I'll just get into the story and all of the theories about what people think might have happened. And you and I can discuss what we think might have happened. Fabulous. Of course. So Jean Spangler was born in Seattle. And when she was in high school, she moved to Los Angeles. uh, And that was in 1941. She was a very attractive girl. And a lot of the things I read described her as statuesque. But she was only 5'6". I guess, is that tall back then? I don't know. (laughs) So uh, she started um, modeling after high school, and she soon sort of started also, like, dancing at these Hollywood kind of gangster haven clubs. One was called Florentine Gardens, and another was called the Earl Carroll Theater. She also started doing bit parts in movies uh, around this time, mostly, like, extra stuff. Some of the movies... Uh, which I have actually never heard of. One is called When My Baby Smiles at Me from 1948 <laughs> and Wabash Avenue from 1950. I'm I've, guessing these are like B-level. I've never seen those. Uh, yeah. So in 1942, Spangler married um, a man named Dexter Benner, and he was a plastics manufacturer. I think he just worked in a factory, basically. He's in his early 20s, and she's 19, and she's described as a vivacious party girl. Like, she is definitely someone who likes to go out and about and have a good time. Uh, That actually did not work out well for their marriage. (laughs) I think the guy wanted, like, a stay-at-home wife and mom. I'm sure she was, like, what, like, 19? Yeah, she's 19, and he's young, too, but he's definitely on this, like, path of, like, getting a serious job and settling down. I mean, that's pretty typical for back then, I think. Uh, They didn't have a long marriage. She filed for divorce six months after their marriage, and she accused him of like mental cruelty but they continued to have an on and off thing that lasted another four years and during that time she became pregnant and they had a baby daughter named christine did they get remarried no so their divorce wasn't finalized yet so they didn't get remarried but it was finally um sort of official they in decided 1946. to go through with it yeah Benner actually received temporary custody of the child, partially because he really accused Spangler of being a party girl. Like, that's how he got custody of her. And he actually said this in, like, one of the custody hearings. He said that Spangler preferred parties to priorities, (laughs) which I think would make a great fucking, like, coffee mug or, like, a T-shirt. Like, so he had custody of the child for two years, um, and he basically, like, didn't even let her 
see the child. Like he denied her visitation rights 23 times over, over two years. Uh, he also threatened her during this time saying he'd fix it. So you'd never get to see her again. Finally, the judge was like, you know what? You can't fucking do that to the father. And he ruled that, uh, although Spangler had questionable contact conduct, that was sort of buried in the past at this point. And he said the little girl's place is with her mother. So in 1949, she got custody of her daughter again, and she moved into an apartment in Park La Brea, which is still in existence. Yep. And that was a two-bedroom apartment she shared with her mother, her daughter, her brother, and her sister-in-law. That's that sounds a, like a fucking nightmare. Totally. Even if you're really close. <laughs> like, that can't be good, right? No. So shortly after she's in this Park La Brea apartment, um, on October 7th, 1949, Jean got the part that would make her famous, but it was not for any movie. I'm sorry. I had to say this because literally every article I read about this case, they everyone said, said like almost the same verbatim <laughs> thing. Like she finally got the fame she wanted, but not for any movie. I mean, that is so investigation discovery. It's very investigation discovery. Uh, so I wrote that down and I wrote LOL. I mean, that is like... <laughs> is like up there with she had a smile that would light up a room yeah i mean that is just like, everyone loved that little turn of like she finally got the fame she always craved but it was not like, but, it was but just at like, what yeah, cost at what cost so around 5 p.m that day she kissed her daughter who was five at this time goodbye and told her sister-in-law that she was going to meet her ex-husband about his child support payment which was overdue i also saw that she wanted to have an increase so there was like two conflicting stories Afterwards, she told her sister-in-law that she was going to go work on a night shoot for a new film. So she leaves the house, and as she leaves, she says, wish me luck, crosses her fingers, and winks, and then walks out. Well, that's ominous. Yeah. (laughs) You can almost picture the reenactment, right? (laughs) So two hours after leaving, she calls home and speaks to her sister-in-law, Sophie, again, and she also speaks to her daughter. She tells Sophie that she's going to actually have to end up working a full eight hours that night, and she probably won't... That's short for a shoot. Yeah. Uh, So she said, I probably won't return home that evening. Um, And at the time, by the way, her mom, Florence, is out of town visiting family in Kentucky, so the daughter is just at home with her sister-in-law. Um... That's pretty much the last time her sister-in-law saw her. Or her that, she, that is the last time her sister-in-law, when she left. So the next time Jean is seen is around 1.30 a.m., and it's at a restaurant in Hollywood called The Cheese Board. No, I'm sorry, The Cheese Box. Wait. <laughs> the Cheese Box. A Cheese Board is a real restaurant <laughs> okay. in Silver Lake. The Cheese Box. I looked it up, Rachel, because I knew you were going to have Did questions. Did you get the menu? No. There was nothing about The Cheese Box, and I was like, this sounds like a restaurant i'm into like this is a restaurant i want to investigate i need to know what was on this menu i looked up everything i could not find it it was on sunset and laurel canyon so it's like right in that area right i know exactly where that is and i have no idea i couldn't find anything about it rest in peace cheese box restaurant so this is like after the fact people are saying these sightings obviously so she was last sighted at the cheese box well there's a few more sightings so she's seen at the cheese box at 1 30 a.m according to an eyewitness arguing with a few uh, men who are tall and dark, according to this eyewitness. Uh, so this Cheesebox restaurant, it's like about two miles north of Park La Brea, like uh-huh. something like that. So at 2.30 a.m., she's still at the Cheesebox, according to somebody. Um, 
And then later after that, a gas station attendant, no, sorry, in the early morning hours, a gas station attendant will also later claim that he saw a couple in a convertible. The woman looks like Jean Spangler, according to him. They said they were going to Fresno. uh, And then as the woman is driving off there in a convertible, she yells to the gas station attendant, have the police follow this car. But it's sort of like maybe a joke. Like, he can't tell. Like, it's one of those things where I think after the fact, it seems more sinister than, like, when it happened. I just think it's weird that they're going to Fresno at 2 a.m. <laughs> the I only think it's reason- a little earlier. Like, it's later in the morning. Or, yeah. Like, it's like more midnight? like 7 a.m. Oh, it's 7 a.m. Yeah, because it's after the cheese box. Well, look, I'm 7 a.m., 2 a.m., the only reason I can think to go to Fresno at that hour is if you ran out of Coke and you happen to have another connection <laughs> in Fresno. Mess. Obviously, when Jean fails to come home in that whatever, the early morning hours the following day, Sophie, her sister-in-law, uh, goes down to the Wilshire Division of the LAPD and files a missing persons report. The police basically take down all the details, but they're kind of like, she's not uh, missing. She's a young starlet. She's probably out on a fling with some guy and would show up in a day or two. Like they didn't really take it that seriously. They actually didn't even put her name on the police teletype as a missing person at that point. They kind of just humored her. Like I think it's kind of common even to this day. Oh yeah. That people. You can't even report someone who's an adult for, like, 24 hours or something. Look, there's a lot of things that you report to the police that they don't take seriously. Yeah. This is yeah. one of them. I remember someone was, like, harassing me with, like, violent stuff online, and I went to the police station. This is years ago. And I printed out all these, like, awful things that this person messaged this person was sending me. I didn't know what else to do. I went to, the, like, Hollywood police station, and they were like, well, we can't do anything till he actually hurts you. Right. And I was like, cool. Yeah. Thanks. It's crazy. So now, so this is like the following day after she filed the police report. And um, an employee at Griffith Park reports finding Jean Spangler's purse near the Ferndale entrance to the park. Now, I looked this up. Uh, Ferndale is sort of like a area in Griffith Park that's very like green and it's sort of like where people go with like picnicking. Is that, and where, the, is that where that restaurant trails is? I don't know if that's where that is, but it's also like a, a common dumping ground for bodies. Oh. Like I looked it up, like I just searched Ferndell and dead bodies. There was no famous cases necessarily, but it's definitely like jogger found in Ferndell area. Yeah, yeah. Ferndell area popped up I mean, a million times. Like area, as recently as twenty nineteen. Like I mean if it's the area I'm thinking about, it's like very woodsy. It doesn't even look like it's like you're not in the city anymore at Okay, all. yeah. I wasn't really sure where exactly it was, but I thought that was interesting that there was like a place in Griffith Park where people dumped bodies. So this guy finds her purse. Obviously, at that point, police are like, oh, <laughs> well, maybe something has happened. Yeah. They converge on the scene, and what they find, like this thing that they found, this purse and other stuff I'm going to mention, it sparks one of the biggest manhattans in LAPD history at the time. Wow. The purse's double handles had been ripped off at one end, which kind of made them think, oh, something violent there happened. There was a struggle. Right? Uh, there were valuables inside the purse, which made them think that robbery was not the motive. Uh, there was also a note inside the purse written in her handwriting, and that was sort of the thing that really set them off. This note read, Kirk, can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work out best this way while my mother is away, comma. So abortion, the, the note ended with a comma and the police thought that that indicated that she hadn't had time to finish her note or something like that, which I don't know if necessarily 
if that's the case, but it's just like an interesting, people make a big deal about this comma, like right. she didn't finish, uh, but whatever. But why would it be tucked in her purse? Yeah. So they have like 60 men at this point come to Griffith Park, like searching for any other evidence. Right. Uh, there's no additional clues and uh, investigators then go to work reconstructing her last hours before her disappearance. Um, obviously their hu- the husband is the first person or the ex-husband is the first person they go to because that's who this, she told the sister-in-law she was seeing. So he denies having seen her for weeks and, uh, he has a new wife at this point. He's been married to her for a month. She gives him basically an alibi saying, no, she wasn't here. And he was with me all night. Da, 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 da. Um, investigators then go check with the studios and the screen extras guild, and they found no record of her working that night. I don't think they even found a record of a film shooting that night. So that was clearly either, you know, made up by her. They find another witness, a saleswoman who was at the farmer's market, which we know right by Park La Brea. Yeah. The, uh, farmer's market was still existent back then. Um, they, this saleswoman remembered seeing her sort of hanging around the farmer's market that night around 6 p.m., so shortly after she left the house, um, and said that she appeared to be waiting for someone. Uh, I think that's also where she made the phone call when she called her family, like from a payphone. Now, they get another witness. This is a man named Robert Cummings. He's an actor, and he was the star of a movie called Pretty Girl, and that was uh, a film that Jean worked on like, like as pretty an recently, like as an extra, or sometimes she had parts that was like, like kind of like her credits would be like showgirl, like right. just like she had a credit, but it was barely above an extra. Uh, and he gave some additional information on who the someone might have been who she was like waiting for or looking for. So he said about two weeks before she disappeared, he had been sitting in his dressing room at Columbia Studios and she walked by him whistling like a happy tune. <laughs> and he said to her, you sound happy. And she said, I am, I have a new romance. And he Ooh. said, is it serious? And she said, not really, but I'm having the time of my life, <laughs> which I kind of love the idea that she's like, you know what? Who cares? Right. Like, no, it's not serious. It's not serious, but who the fuck cares? So far, the police, like all they have as far as an identity for this guy, possible love interest is the name in the letter, which is Kirk. Now, this letter sort of becomes the big detail of this case, obviously, um, and out of nowhere, the police get a phone call from actor Kirk Douglas. I was going to guess, is it Kirk <laughs> Douglas? So he basically calls the police, even though they're not looking at him or right. even thinking he is the person that she's talking right. about. Right, what are the chances of he that? He calls the police, he hears news about the case, he's in Palm Springs at the time on vacation, and he calls the police volunteering that Gene may have worked with him on as an extra on his last film, which was called The Young Man with a Horn. So he says that he um, barely remembers her. He's quoted as saying, I didn't remember the girl until, until a friend recalled that it was she who was working on an extra on my movie, one of my pictures. So he talks to uh, the deputy chief of the LAPD, a man named Tad Brown, who also headed up the Black Dahlia case, by the way, which was a few years before this, and I'll get more into that later. Uh, he says, if she's the one I'm thinking about, I do recall talking to her that day, but I never saw her before or after that, and I have never been out with her. 
Well, there's a lot of smoke surrounding Kirk Douglas. Yes. I mean, we've discussed Kirk Douglas on The Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. I think part one or... Yeah, maybe. I can't remember. One of the, one of the episodes of The Rebel it's Without a Cause. It's just interesting that he would be in this other story. Yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, saying. It's I just have interesting. To, you have to wonder about him. <laughs> there's like, a lot of smoke is all Also, I just love the idea that you're like preemptively like it's not me right <laughs> like i'm I mean, not the kirk yeah without even anyone ever even mentioning you it's right. kind of like okay and i'm sure no one the public didn't know about this letter either at this time because it was still under investigation i think they do know about it because it's out there that it's kirk was in the letter so i think they do know about the letter because well, that's, that's why he calls oh oh because okay. he hears the name kirk and he's like it's not me, it's not me. kirk yeah I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Uh, Jean's mother, she wasn't much help either, but she did have a memory that she said, I heard her talking about a Kirk that she knew around from the sets. And uh, she said, but that was just at one studio, then another, I simply can't remember. She also told police that someone named Kirk had picked up Jean at their apartment twice, but stayed in his car and didn't come in. On October 9th, which is a few days after her disappearance, um, another eyewitness comes forward, and he says that he he thought he saw Jean and a man in a bar at a Fresno bar at 9 a.m. Sorry, <laughs> that just cracks me up. <laughs> like 9 a.m. at a Fresno bar. That is some. Look, I've been in a bar that early, Rachel. I'm guessing you have. <laughs> There's like a real distinct clientele. <laughs> At the bar that early in the morning. They're either someone who, in my case, has already been out all night Look, and was my, waiting for the bar to reopen. Those are people you're talking about, Desi. Me too. Those are my people. Uh, like, they're, they're either people who are waiting for the bars to reopen or they're people who roll in at that hour. Right. I have done it several times. Like, I'll eat some food and then wait for the bars to reopen and go there as soon as possible. Like, again, when you're kind of all... all out all night. Look, like I've definitely camped outside of Seven Elevens before, waiting for it to be six a.m. to buy beer. Okay. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I was that bitch. I am <laughs> that bitch in my bones. So this person who saw her at the Fresno bar, he recalled her saying at some point, "Last night was the worst night of my life." Well, if you're in a Fresno bar <laughs> at nine a.m., I'm sure it was. <laughs> There's literally no good. There's no good night that leads to that that place, and I'm right? I'm just saying, like, as someone who knows, yeah, me too. Like, I actually have some. I actually have some experience with early morning bars. <laughs> Back in the day, um, she was also seen at a bus station in Stockton, and then a girl she knew, thirteen Stockton, all the way up yeah, north. Yeah, she's being seen all over. Like at this point, like wow. once the news kind of hits people start seeing her. So who knows how real it is, right? Like, right. or people just are mistaken. The one that's sort of the most, like, believable is a 13-year-old girl who actually knew her, and she said that she saw her drive by in a car with an older guy that she was looking nervous in North Hollywood. Oh. But because she actually knew her in person, they sort of were, like, took that a little bit more seriously. Uh, but it didn't really lead to anything. So... Police at this point are thinking, you know what? Like, she clearly probably lied about going to see her ex-husband, also about the movie. And they started thinking she's using this cover story to hide the fact that she was heading off to have an illegal abortion. Um, most of the girlfriends that they interviewed of 
of like the girlfriends of Jean that they interviewed, all of them were like, no, she wasn't pregnant. She wasn't pregnant. One of Jean's girlfriend does finally come through and she said Jean had told her that she was about three months pregnant and it was the result of a sort of love affair that was this was causing a big problem with and that Jean was urgent in getting this abortion done to please this guy and that she was seeing someone called Dr. Scott. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. All of Jean's relative, like they had no idea who Dr. Scott was. Um, police began questioning every doctor in Los Angeles 
And that name turned up nothing, but that was probably also like, like a fake, a fake name. name. They also went to like nightclubs and bars on the Sunset set Strip that Jean went to. Did they go to the comedy store? <laughs> No, they did not. Because the there concert. were illegal abortions performed oh, there. Oh, right. What was the comedy store? It was Ciro's, right? It was. It used to be Ciro's. Okay, right? okay. Maybe they did go there. Now, detectives did learn about an ex-medical student known as Doc that allegedly, like, performed these illegal abortions for a fee, and he was, like, from a wealthy family back east, and he just kind of hung around the strip offering to do these abortions. Uh, whatever, I guess a back alley abortion. They never were able to locate this person, like this rumored doctor though. But if, if this was what happened to her, like in a, a, she died during a botched abortion, why would he throw her purse then in Griffith Park? Like if he disposed of the body, why would they then right. throw the purse like there as a red herring? Like it didn't, that aspect of it didn't really make sense. Especially with the note inside. Yeah, with the it. note inside. So it's kind of like, well, how did that happen? Right. So, at this point, detectives traveled to Palm Springs, kind of also where Jean frequented a lot. She would go out to Palm Springs all the time. So they went to like bars and stuff that she went into. And like, this is a big hangout in the 50s and like that period, 40s and 50s, to go to Palm Springs yeah. was like it. Like, people were fucking going there. So every big Hollywood star, like Kirk Douglas, was there. They're going to all of these watering holes to like see what what's up, if they can find anything. Some of them they went to, I have to name the names, was the Chi Chi, the Dunes, the Dollhouse, and my favorite, the Saddle and Sirloin. <laughs> Correct me if I was like, I will, I will go to the Saddle and Sirloin. I will too. I it's, wish those still existed. It sounds like a better, what's that place, Flaming Saddles? Oh, right, right, right. So there was a Scott the investigators kind of came up with from Jean's past. And he was an Air Corps lieutenant named Scotty. And she had an affair with him while her husband was in the Army, like back in the day when they were still married. Jean's lawyer or former lawyer told police that Scotty had beaten up Jean when she tried to break up with him and he threatened to kill her if she ever left him. But as far as the lawyer knew, Jean had not seen this guy after her divorce in 1945. So after three weeks, the case seems to be kind of at a dead end. Uh, one of the detectives says, the only thing we've been able to find out is that this girl really got around. <laughs> Yikes. So there's a, like a lot of sex. That's a direct quote. Like, Ugh. So there's definitely like a lot of sexism involved in this kind of like thinking that she's not worth like something and, bad happened to her because she was probably bad. Like I'm not right. saying that. Like that's the mentality. I mean, almost. We, we see that a lot, especially in these old cases where they say it out loud. Right. Where they don't even just they don't even know it's it. bad. Yeah. They, yeah. They're just like so brazen about being so right. sexist. Or even that she lost custody because the judge deemed that she was sort of a party girl. Like, right. Um. So. I mean, she was out on the scene for sure. She's a single woman. Uh, she had been seen around with a wealthy nightclub owner, a rich playboy, like prominent people from all like jet setters, different actors. Like she was out on the town, but who cares, right? Like, so, but there were some people she was out on the town with that we should focus on a bit because they actually could be something that led to her disappearance. So, Spangler had been seen in Palm Springs a few days before her disappearance on the arms of Little Davy Ogle and Frank Nicoli, who were henchmen of mobster Mickey Cohen. Zeros. Yeah, exactly. So both of those men were actually under indictment for conspiracy at the time, and both happened to disappear around the same time as Spangler. Oh. So 
That led investigators to go back to Palm Springs to revisit some of those haunts with this new information. At that point, they had it on good authority that Nicole's bottle had been tossed. Nicole's body had been tossed into a lime pit in a Cucamonga vineyard. A lime pit? Yeah. Like, like a, I guess like a quarry, like some kind of like rock. limestone. Yeah, limestone, and that Ogle's body, if not already in this like quarry or lime pit, was not far behind. Like it was somewhere. Like they couldn't find these men, and they were I guess set to testify against Cohen. So obviously, they it's were pretty off. likely that they were knocked off. Um, the only trace police ever found of Nicole actually was his car keys in a sewer on Santa Barbara Street in Los Angeles. So, I mean, pretty ominous discovery. Um, But they didn't really find any more information out in Palm Springs when they made that second trip back there. But uh, Mickey Cohen and his crowd, they were also big on going and partying and vacationing in Palm Springs, like, as well as, like, the celebrities, the gangster, like, the L.A., like, the Hollywood L.A. crime, like, syndicate were also always in Palm Springs. Um, One of them actually ran an illegal gambling club there called The Cove, which is... Uh, now called the Elks Club in Cathedral City, which is like a city that's right just by Palm Springs. Yeah. So it's like the next town over. And so things were going on in Palm Springs as well. Mickey Cohen kind of kept a low profile. He was one time asked to leave the racket club there by a manager, and the manager said Mickey was around quite a bit, but he usually stayed at people's houses. He wasn't much in public, so he kept a pretty low profile there. Um, his underlings, though, the two guys I mentioned before, they were definitely out and about in Palm Springs playing like tough guy and right. big and kind of being seen, which probably doesn't go over well in the mob when they try to start be kind of like celebrity. Like, right. That seems like where they always get off. They get too big, big for their britches. Like there's the ones who like show flash their money around. Right. Whereas the old school big gangsters like live in a modest house and right. like, They're you careful. know what I mean? Like, yeah. So at this point, the police kind of are like, pretty much have given up. Four months later, the case took another weird twist when it was reported that U.S. Customs agents in El Paso, Texas, they saw a woman that they thought was Jean Spangler in the company of the two men who fit the description of Davy Ogle and Frank Nicoli. Um, An employee at a hotel also identified the trio from a photograph. Like she said that the, she saw them stare, she saw them at the hotel. The custom agents told Los Angeles cops that they had reason to believe that she had left El Paso for Las Vegas. And this like kind of brought another wave of eyewitness testimony coming forward. Like, oh well I also think I saw her. Like that's sort of the the weird thing with eyewitness testimony. Yeah. It's always sort of after the fact that people recall. So it's like how much can you really trust? Because now they're they're like looking at things in a different light. So they kept seeing so her with these mob people. Like now it's like with the two guys always. Was it in the, and it was in the papers that maybe they yes, were it's in the papers. And so she's being seen now with these two guys in Northern California, Phoenix, San Fernando Valley, Mexico City, and Palm Springs. So whatever. Her mom is like, no. Jean was not the kind of girl to get mixed up with people like that. I'm sure she would have communicated with us if she was alive and free, and nobody can tell me that she would have left her baby unless she was forced to do so. She loved her too much. So the mom thinks she's dead. Like, the mom is, like, adamant that she's dead if she's not coming home. Um, Jean's ex-husband gets custody of Christine, but then two years after that, he tries to get his wife to adopt um, the baby as her own, Um, on grounds of abandonment. The judge rules that there's no proof that she was alive or dead, so he blocks this thing, or this request. Jean... Jean's mom and Dexter, the ex-husband, have, like, a brutal custody battle. Like, there's actually 
articles on it that I saw from from that period. I mean, that must have like been that awful. was a big story going right. back and forth of who's going to get the custody of this missing actress's uh, child. She ultimately um, loses custody, obviously, because you know it's the dad. Right. So he, she does have um, visitation rights, and he also defies these court orders that she's allowed to visit. He gets ordered to go to jail for 15 days because it's it's considered contempt of court. And then he um, eventually leaves the state and goes to Florida with his wife and baby, and no one ever sees them again. What a dick. Yeah. Wait, wait. So he, he takes the child, Yeah, too? he takes the child and basically leaves to go to Florida, and there's nothing the mom can really do. There's actually a sad picture of her, like, That's holding awful. a picture of her daughter. Like, <laughs> it's such a dick move. So... The, even though the police have pretty much given up, they continue to kind of circulate her picture. Luella Parsons, who was a famous gossip columnist from back in that period, she goes on television offering a $1,000 reward for inter- any information about Jean's uh, whereabouts. And for years on the anniversary of her disappearance, the LA Times runs a story about the case, but no trace of Jean is ever uncovered from all of this effort. But there are a lot of theories about what happened to Jean Uh was she done in by Kirk? Is it Kirk Douglas? Who killed her? Was she trying to blackmail this guy? Um, was she killed in a mob hit with Davey Ogle and Frank Nicoli? Um, was were they she killed like, by the husband? Yeah, were they in a grave together in Palm Springs? Um, there's the ex-husband who wanted custody. There's her old lover, Scotty. Like, did he come back? He had threatened to kill her in the past. Did he come back? So all of these things are kind of like the theories of what happened. The other interesting element is um, that I said before, this was two years after the Black Dahlia murder, and there was also um, another widowed uh, Bel Air socialite named Mimi Boomhauer who was also missing at the time. So I think that's another reason this case kind of took off because this was like after all these big sort of murders and people started wondering, are these connected um, is there a serial killer on the Killing loose? Killing starlets. Right. And we talked before about the lipstick murder, right. which is also something we might cover at some point. Also, George Hodel, who is the sort of the person most people think killed the Black Dahlia. Right. His son, Steve, is sort of the one who's like always in the news right now. And I think there was a podcast out about the Black Dahlia with Steve Hodel. He also thinks that Jean Spangler could possibly be a victim. I'll post some pictures. She does have a very similar look to Black Dahlia. Does George has, does George Hodel's son think his dad did it? I think he thinks it's possible. Okay. Like, he kind of I don't know enough about him and what he's talking about cuz I feel like I think a lot of his stuff hasn't been proven, right? Like he has all these theories and things that he thinks, but none of it has officially been And his dad's confirmed. dead. Right. But he was like some kind of doctor. Was he a dentist? I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. So that's pretty much that case. Like, I mean, no one knows that's, no one really knows what happened. I mean, what do you think? I mean, like, obviously, like, is like the most common thing. It does, it sounds like, like women, like, generally are most likely to be murdered if they're murdered by a romantic partner. Right. So my immediate suspicion points to, especially if, if she had been in an abusive relationship with someone before, right. it seems like an abusive situation with this Scotty guy. That seems like Oakham's razor to me. Yeah. Like, oh, they that's had... That's the obvious choice. They ha- yeah, that's like the obvious answer, which like, 
I mean, just based on, like, statistically, that seems like the obvious choice to me. Yeah. Obviously, the fantasy in me wants to go, let's go down this Kirk Douglas yeah. road. I mean, that's certainly the most, like, the Kirk Douglas or the George that, Hodel are the most interesting that's the options. Most, it's the most scandalous, for well, sure. So, well, obviously, the Kirk Douglas, but also just to be tied to the Black Dahlia would right. also sort it's of be like, yeah. I think the mob option seems the most believable to me, like just getting mixed up in the wrong place, wrong time. I, I feel like the thing that's sort of the the weird thing is the purse. I agree. That's like, why I don't think it's, that's why it feels weird to be a mob hit unless they picked her up somewhere. She was randomly in Griffith Park and there was a struggle getting into the car. Yeah. She lost her purse. The handle ripped, you know. She it's was like making like, me think of Adriana and The Sopranos. Did you, you didn't watch this? I still haven't seen okay. it. But yeah, I mean, it could have been like, let's meet here. I'll give you money for the abortion. Like maybe one of the mob guys got her pregnant. Right. I don't know. The, the only reason I don't buy the husband or the, the abusive ex is because those weren't immediate breakups. Like he, she had already right. been out of that one for four years. Would he still really be that angry? Like usually I think that violence happens right away when she would have left him the first time that's possible do you know what i mean like uh the husband does seem likely because he wanted the kid and wanted right. to clearly get out of there so i would buy that a little bit i mean he was so di- he did not care about the welfare of that child at all he just wanted right. to get that kid to and wants himself. to start his new life he did not care about uh fostering a relationship with the kid's grandma right at all so yeah, that's I what leads me to that's that's the thing that points in the direction of like oh he was a selfish asshole and just wanted the kid at all costs but it's also sort of weird that a crime of passion like that there would be zero evidence right that's why i think mob hit because they're experienced right. and can get rid of bodies uh even the botched abortion it's like well, you still have to get rid of the body. Like that's not right. easy with no evidence. Right. Um, it's just the purse that throws the wrench in all yeah, of it. What the it, fuck was her purse? Every time there? I think I figured it out, I'm like, well, maybe no, <laughs> like that can't be it. So, um, while I was doing research for this case, I came upon a few other famous disappearances that I don't think will ever be their own episode. So I'm just going to kind of touch on them here. The first one is um, a man named Sean Flynn, and he was the only child of Errol Flynn. Yeah. He looks like exactly like his father, by the way. He started acting, you know, obviously a lot of those people just go into acting. He was really good looking. Like I said, he kind of looked like his dad. But then he eventually becomes a photojournalist, and he is actually quite good at it. He um, starts covering the Vietnam War in 1970, and he's in Cambodia covering the Viet Cong. He's with another um, journalist at that time, and they're basically, like, they're not, like, in limousines. They're, like, in the fucking jungle, like, in the war zone, taking pictures. Uh, He disappears without a trace. Um, So people don't really know what happened to him, but they assume that maybe they got captured and were eventually killed by the Viet Cong, like, in captivity. But they think that they might have been in captivity for years. But no one really knows what happened to them. Like, there's never been anyone who said anything. No remains were ever found. He basically disappeared without a trace. There was another socialite named Dorothy Arnold. And the reason I'm bringing her up is because she also basically disappeared by what they think was a botched abortion. She was a very wealthy socialite in New York City. She's like, uh, people speculate that she got um, pregnant and that she had to go get an abortion. 
another reason I wanted to bring this up is is to just point out that abortion is always going to happen. Right. It's just a matter of only wealthy people being able to afford them. Right. Um, and it's just not safe. Like, right. they're going to happen no matter what. Right. So she... They think that she got killed in one of these botched abortions and that her body was disposed of. A felon at some point, like later on in prison, he actually told them, like, I know what happened to Dorothy Arnold. And he said that he helped dispose of her body after this abortion. So just kind of like a sad way. It's really sad. It just really makes you think, like, come on. Right. No, I <laughs> agree. together. Look, I agree. Another sort of famous disappearance is um, Patrick McDermott, who is the guy who was in a relationship with Olivia Newton-John. Right. Do you remember oh, that case? I do. Yeah. Yes. So they're like in this on and off again relationship for many years. And in 2005, he disappears from a fishing boat off the coast of Los Angeles. Um, he wasn't reported till a week after he disappears off this boat. And like a lot of the passengers that were on the boat with him all give these conflicting reports. In 2008, he's declared dead that he most likely drowned. Um, but then a suggestion came that he faked his own death and was living in Mexico. And that was like a pretty big story for a while. Do you remember that? That was like a real theory. That wasn't just like a crazy Reddit theory. There was like articles about that. He faked his own death and it was like, Oh, poor Olivia Newton. John. (laughs) That was, I mean like, that's all I could think was like, Oh my God. Imagine being like if Brendan, like, if there was, like, an article in the paper, like, if, God forbid, anything, like, if he disappeared and there was an article in the paper, it was, like, Brendan faked his own death to get away from Rachel Fisher. Right. They tried to make it, like, he, that was the only way he could get away from, I would from be, her I'd be something. fucking mortified and devastated beyond belief. Like, I, f- I felt for Olivia Newton-John so much in right. that. Like, just it was like, the ultimate ghosting. <laughs> like, Dude, it was, like, so brutal. Like... It was, like, brutal that they even, like, printed that theory with no substantiated, like, evidence behind that. Well, even his, like, sister is, like, he's dead. Like, he would never do this. Like, also, it's gone on a long time. This is over 13 years now. I feel like he would have been whatever busted but yeah it was like crazy when that story happened i mean they were taking it like seriously too that that was a real possibility that he faked his own death but that's sort of the weird thing about disappearances like no one really knows like it's just ripe for anything could be possible right like i mean it is such a big tragedy when somebody that you're close to that you love disappears into thin air because you don't you don't know you don't even have the possibility of closure maybe i don't know well it's easy for you to say it's still, it could be true. Like, and then you right. get, get a story like, um, the girls who we thought disappeared and were probably dead ending up in that guy's basement right. in Cleveland. So there are these possibilities where it's like, see, like they never gave up hope and right. there are people, but it's like, that is so rare. Like it's you rare. Know. And it's also, you also don't want someone you love to be in par- in a perilous situation right. either. Yeah, like it's really scary. It's awful. It's like such an awful like, situation. All about it is it's all awful. There was another um, child actor named Joe Pitchler. He was was in in? the Beethoven films. (gasps) Wait, wait, let me see his picture. I don't have his picture. Look it up on your phone. Because I watched both of those in the theaters, Desi. He's also in When Good Ghouls Go Bad. What's Uh, his name? Joe Pitchler, P-I-C-H-L-E-R. And he was also in Varsity Blues. Uh, He takes a break, like after he kind of has this child star career. He kind of takes a break, um, goes to school and he plans on returning to Los Angeles to kind of pick up his acting career in early 2006. He's out late night 
late one night with his friends playing cards. He leaves his car to drive home, and he's never seen from again. He basically just disappeared. His car is found abandoned with all of his belongings left inside. It was determined that he did try to make a call to one of his friends at 4 a.m. that morning. On the call, he was reportedly drinking and crying. A note was found that could be interpreted as a suicide note, but it's not really, like, like, it's not really stating it in an obvious way. He just says something along the lines of, I wish I was a stronger brother. So police speculate that he probably jumped off a nearby bridge, but no one was ever able to find him, Mm. his body or anything like that. That's really sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And so the last one I'm going to bring up is like another sort of weird, crazy story. I have like a vague memory of this, but I'll see if it's familiar to to you. So this is the case of a woman named Yelenia Carisi, and she is the daughter of Italian pop stars Albano and Romina Power. And Romina is the granddaughter of actor Tyrone Power, like old school Hollywood actor Tyrone Power. We've talked about him before. He fucks young girls, or he did. (laughs) This daughter, the daughter, this uh, Elenia Carisi. That's her dad is Tyrone Power. No, her, her mom is Romina Power, who is the granddaughter of Tyrone Power. So she's like the great-great-granddaughter of Tyrone Power, the woman we're talking about, Elini. But she has famous Italian pop star parents, so it's like she's sort of like whatever. Now her, she goes into show business as well, and her big job is she becomes the letter turner on the Italian version of Wheel of Fortune, and she's called the Italian Vanna White. That's the gig you want. (laughs) Seriously, it's like the best gig in Hollywood. So she becomes kind of a minor celebrity with this job in, in Italy. Italy. Right. At 23, uh, she decides she's going to write a book. She does some dabbling in acting, but she's not like really a successful actress, but she does have this obsession with new Orleans. So she moves to new Orleans and she wants to write like a documentary about the lives of street musicians living in new Orleans. Uh, so she's in new Orleans. She's staying at, um, a, a hotel called Ladell hotel, which is located in the French quarter. And she's sharing a room with a local street mu- musician named Alexander Masakala. Now this is like not a great hotel, Rachel. It's really? like one where drug addicts and transients kind of hang out. It's a very low budget hotel with various like people there, maybe like low level criminals. Like it's not like down the safest, on their luck, down on their luck people. So she's staying in this hotel with a street musician. I'm not quite sure what she's doing. Is she like trying to get like live in the same space as these people and get like a real feel for what they go through? Like, I don't really know, but she's just obsessed with this like money. world. Yeah. So on January 1st, uh, 1994, she, is the last time her parents hear from her. She makes a phone call to them, and she seems normal in every way. The guy she's living with, Masakala, he's arrested several weeks after for trying to use her traveler's checks to pay for a bill for the hotel room that he's trying to check out of now that they were in together. He also has a history of domestic violence, rape, and drug use, so it's not like the best guy she was uh, shacking up with. But there's no, they question him about her disappearance and whereabouts and they have no evidence that he did anything. So he's let, let go. Now, one spooky thing happened several weeks after she vanished on January 30th, a security guard at the Audubon Aquarium of the Americas, which is in new Orleans claims that he was on duty the evening of January 6th. And he sees a woman who fits her description near like at a place called Waldenburg park near the Mississippi river um, she's wearing like a flower print dress, which is the same type of dress that 
people said she was wearing when she vanished. According to the guard, she goes up to like a pier where she starts sitting and he approaches her to tell her that it's too late to be out where she is. And she says, I belong to the river and then jumps into the river and disappears under the waves. Whoa. After he comes in with this evidence, the Coast Guard are notified. Uh, so he reported it right after. He reported after. it right after. The Coast Guard immediately go out and try to find this person or the body, like right. whatever. And nothing comes up. So no one knows even if that woman was her or if that woman, who, if it wasn't her, died. Like no one knows what happened to her. That's pretty much it. Like nothing was ever discovered again after her disappearance and this story by this guy uh her family denies that she was suicidal in any way i mean that's a common denial but it doesn't mean it's not accurate they think that she was harmed or killed by one of either that guy masakala or possibly another person at the hotel and they also are fearful that it's possible she was kidnapped and forced into human slavery or sex trafficking, like some kind of ring or syndicate, but there's no evidence of that at all. It's just sort of the family's, you know, opinion. The mom, Romina Power says, I've heard a lot of strange stories in New Orleans about white slave trade and girls being abducted for black magic rituals. Uh, And she, her belief is that she was being held against her will some somewhere, but that could also be just kind of like, maybe she's still alive and we'll find her one day. Um, There's absolutely no evidence that that ring exists or whatever she's talking about. So, yeah, that's just the tragic tale of the the Italian Vanna White. Wow. Um, A lot of the other stories that came up for this kind of stuff was like Tammy Lynn Leppard, who we did did an episode on her her a while back. Right. Uh, So if you you haven't checked that one out, she's not very well known, but it's also like a kind of interesting disappearance. It's a a real mystery. Uh So, yeah. That's all the mysteries. Wow, Des. <laughs> the, these kind of cases, they like drive me nuts because yeah, just, you want a conclusion. I want a resolution so badly. I mean, for the sake of like the family members and right. just like, oh my god, like it's just it's like that. That's the kind of thing that scares me so much. Is like if God forbid, you know, someone I love would ever disappear and just not knowing what happened. Yeah, to them. it would drive me crazy. It's awful. It's really awful. Right. It's just. Yeah, to just disappear, I can see very easily how you would want to still believe. Ugh, Ugh. It's so horrible. It makes me so sad. It makes my like, stomach like... Like, thinking about stories like that kid, like Johnny Ghosh. Right. You know that there were, case? like, yeah, there was, a, like, a lot of stories like that that I didn't bring up because I was trying to keep them Hollywood-related right. somewhat. But, yeah, there's so many just people... Just thinking about what the parents must go through just breaks my heart Right, so and then much. it's, like, the worst thing, especially with the Johnny Ghosh case, it's, like she keeps getting these little tidbits that like keep pulling her along. It's maddening. Yeah. It's, Oh my God. That story is so crazy. It's so crazy. Um, anyway, All right. that might be a mysteries and macabre yes, one day maybe for sure. We'll dive into that one. Okay. okay guys. All right, thank bye. you. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.